and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here to hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. Well, all through August, we heard the series The Last Harbinger, a scathing satire about the state of our planet set in the alternate world of Moloch, a planet that seems determined to annihilate itself by consuming all of its resources, treating their people despicably, and generally just being pretty dumb-headed about everything. That story followed the journey of a harbinger who came from another dimension with a message of hope for this world, uh, seeking to help them change their terrible ways. But the world was uh, pretty resistant to that proposition, and the whole uh, epic adventure stemmed from this conflict. Uh, anywho, the producer of that work was a rather famous Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theatre, at least for us uh, audio geeks out there. Uh, he's based, of course, in Dublin, Ireland. This past week, I got him on the phone. Yes, a transatlantic phone call for uh, way over an hour. We chatted about his life, uh, his work, his thoughts on audio theatre, literature, and the world. I hope you enjoy his insights as much as I did. Uh, Roger Gregg, very, very welcome to Radio Drama Revival. It's a huge honor to have you um, calling you to Dublin, Ireland uh, this morning afternoon uh, wherever it happens to be depending on the time zones and um for anyone who's uh, relatively savvy with audio theater they know how much of an honor it is but uh some of our listeners uh may not be familiar with your work so why don't you introduce yourself at crazy dog audio theater and a little bit about what you do and uh, maybe what makes it unique from from some of the other things we may have heard which have been uh, uh american based uh radio drama producers right okay well that's a <clears throat> that covers just about everything <laughs> um, sure I'm Roger Gregg, and I work with a company called Crazy Dog Audio Theatre. We are based in Dublin, Ireland, and uh, for the last nine or nine years or so, we have been producing work for RTE, Radio Telefish Erin, which is the national broadcasting company of Ireland. It is Ireland's version of uh, the BBC, which they have in Britain, that kind of thing. So uh, each year we put in uh, submissions to our national broadcasting company. We are an independent production company, and uh, I have talks with the commissioning editor and the head of features and radio drama and documentaries in RTE Radio. And, uh, well, for the last, like I said, nine years, they've been commissioning us for at least one series every year, sometimes two series in the same year. We are provided with budgets that pay for myself to write it um, and also to direct it and to produce it and also very importantly to hire uh, actors, professional actors and uh, we also get to use the RTE radio drama studios which are unique as radio studios go or as most recording studios go because it's set up especially for radio drama which means the space is, is not only soundproofed, but it's also quite large, and it features a variety of uh, different spaces, small rooms, large rooms, uh, areas that have wooden floors and other areas that are carpeted, and movable sound walls, and so on. And also, we have the facilities to go outdoors and record outside on the grounds of RTE, and uh, some of our productions, we've been given extra money to go and spend a couple of days in um, the middle of nowhere in Ireland in order to record in the uh, countryside um, to get the kind of outdoor ambience for, uh, well, in particular for a historical drama that we did, which was um, set in the uh, Middle Ages, and so we um, couldn't have the sound of helicopters or cars or anything, <laughs> sure. so we were out in the countryside. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of uh, what makes us unique is that 
for example, the, we have two series on the radio at the moment that are running on a double bill back-to-back Sunday nights. And in the space of eight days, we, we recorded, uh, well, the one series was a studio piece, so we were, we were out in the RTE radio drama studios for four days just to record the drama, uh, the dialogue, and the uh, songs, the gist of the songs. And the other series was recorded entirely on location, so we were out and about in various neighborhoods around Dublin to record the second series for four days. And then I get handed all those uh, recordings. The RTE system is set up with Pro Tools, and and my home studio is all set up for Pro Tools, which means the two systems talk to each other. And I take a portable hard disk out to RTE and download all the dialogue, and I bring it home uh, to my home studio, and I splash it all into my system, and then I disappear and live <laughs> like a uh, badger sure. or some kind of rodent that crawls under a rock <laughs> for <laughs> and a couple disappear of weeks. into my sure. studio for uh, months, yeah. weeks and weeks, to post-produce these things, which entails um, crafting all the music and recording the music and uh, layering up the sound effects and recording additional sound effects mm-hmm. and um, mixing it all uh, editing it all together because you know we we would do, for example, several takes of one scene, and mm-hmm. I might take some lines from take one and a couple lines from take two, you know, occasionally. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of painstaking work involved. That was that's kind of our position, and it also vis-a-vis the American situation is what makes us unique, is because we are a professional production company, and we are provided with resources. Um, so that means we can work. Uh, you know, in a way that maybe wasn't very common or hasn't been common in the United States since the demise of professional radio drama is an ongoing concern, you know. I think the last one went off the air in 1963. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was the last kind of ongoing professional American radio drama to, from the networks anyway to, to uh been on the go. But uh, I think most of them were long gone by then anyway, in sure. the late 50s. Sure. And uh, uh, one of the interesting things our mis- listeners might like to know is that you are an American as well. Um, is that That's right, right? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you uh, end up in Ireland? How do I explain that? Oh, well, no. <laughs> uh, oh, back in the 70s, I was a university student, mm-hmm. and I was attending what was then known as the University of Detroit. And I happened to see a brochure stuck on the bulletin board of the liberal arts building one day that said you could spend your junior year in Ireland uh, and all your financial aid and scholarship monies and would count and all the credits would transfer over and um, I'm not even Irish I took this thing down and I pondered it for a while and then I did the maths and I figured out that it was actually going to be cheaper for me to go to this country Ireland for a school year my junior year than it would be to remain in Detroit because I wouldn't have to pay for my car because I was commuting in and out um. from the University of Detroit to my home. And I wouldn't have to pay for car insurance or petrol for all those months that I'd be gone. Mm. So it meant that it was actually cheaper to go to <laughs> Ireland. So that's what I did. Yeah. And uh, that changed everything around. I really, really loved that year in Cork, in University College mm-hmm. Cork. And during that year, I resolved that that's where I wanted to go and continue my studies and so on. Yeah. So I moved there in 1980, originally as an MA student, stud- studying social theory, of all things. And uh, that, of course, um, led to writing a musical play, which led to work on 
radio station, which led to work back for a theater company, and I've been kind of having fingers in both camps ever since. That's uh. 20, I don't know, 24 years ago or something. Uh, well, five years, my, my professional career has been going now, so. Sure. Well, that's a, a great testimonial for any students who are uh, interested in international study away programs, which we do uh, off here at the USM. I um, almost had the same experience myself, yet I uh, ended up back here in Maine. You, so your motivation wasn't that um, there's no way I can do radio drama in America. I'm going to go to the UK to do it. It was something that sort of more grew organically out of your experiences. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now let's get actually to some of the pieces we've heard. We've just heard uh, for the past uh, five weeks, uh, The Last Harbinger, which is such a brilliant piece really um it's so politically charged but biting uh funny entertaining and though its message is quite dark it's uh fun to listen to in a lot of ways and maybe you know we can make some pretty good guesses about what was the uh, fodder that inspired it but uh what what drove you to uh, create a piece like that well one of the things that radio can do one of the most wonderful things about the, the whole medium is that, you know, as Dirk Mag says, it, it bypasses the optic nerve and, and goes straight into your imagination. And that means that you can have, uh, you know, ten pink dinosaurs uh, doing a tap dance while a flying saucer arrives <laughs> and suddenly have it all stop because it was a dream and it's actually a psychopath in a ward with a rubber room. And, uh, you know, in other words... On radio, you can do anything. You can you can easily create whole other worlds. Mm-hmm. So that, that there's that factor. The other another factor that is the the, the whole genre of science fiction and uh, fantasy. The older I get, the more and more science fiction and fantasy kind of stuff I encounter, mm-hmm. absorbed or uh, is shoved in, in my direction. Is um, is strikes me as I get older more and more silly and yeah. escapist and shallow and trite and just stupid and uh, and because you know my background is in social theory I spent uh, <laughs> I don't want to go into it but yeah. I spent a lot of years studying social philosophy a lot mm. of social philosophers radical social philosophers a lot of analyzing society and stuff and and part of that is going and looking at reality or the way things are with the premise that okay this is the way things are but things needn't necessarily be this way mm-hmm. i mean you could pass a law that everyone has to wear a red hat and you wake up in the morning and you see everyone wearing red hats and most people go oh well that's just the way it is everyone has to wear red hats mm-hmm. but you know social theory says but what if you passed a law saying people didn't have to wear a red hat sure. what would happen then so so there's that imaginative uh, side of of and it's prev- and it is in social social um, sorry science fiction the best of science fiction mm-hmm. and the best of fantasy throughout the ages since Thomas More uh, no even earlier Plato postulating the whole d- discourse of the Republic you know mm-hmm. what makes a good society good and everything mm-hmm. Thomas More and Utopia you know I'm thinking of things like Aldous Huxley Brave New World right. George it's... Orwell 1984 uh, Animal Farm. Um, these kind of works that you would say, and a lot of H.G. Wells and stuff as well. The, even the Time Machine has a social working class uh, uh, social critique embedded in it. And a lot of the best science fiction, the most enduring sti- science fiction, has had this uh, political, critical um, edge to it. 
this depth to it. Mm-hmm. So basically these two things, uh, one, I was concerned that I, that I like science fiction, but I like it to say something and challenge things, and two, because I work in radio and you can create possible worlds, it all just seemed to make sense that mm-hmm. let's do this drama that is uh, ostensibly about another planet. But what actually it is, 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 is it just takes the basic question of what would Earth seem like to an alien who suddenly arrived here, say, in in 15 years from now, sure. assuming that uh, we continue making a lot of bad decisions and yeah. also not grabbing, uh, not tackling with issues that really need to be tackled now. So in other words, uh, not dealing with things in the bud, but we're going to let this thing, you know, develop. Yeah. So, so that was the basic premise of, of Harbinger. Yeah, and I think that's a theme that really resonates with people, at least based on the response I've heard. Um, you know, both people obviously love the production value, the great writing, but they also love, you know, the wet message. And I think, um, again, you say the great science fiction or the great, you know, social critiques. I think there's always, um, you know, this, the best satire has been timely pieces that really bite into it, but um, at some point also have a little bit of universal truth to it, too, about, um, you know, the na- human nature, um, you know, near the end that theme comes up uh, echoing Dostoevsky and such. Uh, I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of those things definitely got in there. So it's uh, interesting to see how that all sort of collided in that story for you. So based on that, so that's one of the pieces that you've done that's had uh, that sort of motivation to it. Uh, another one that uh, listeners haven't heard on the show but may want to check out is Infidel, which is that historical drama you mentioned earlier, uh, which has a similar, well, a very different message. But um, are you going for the same motivation, trying to cr- use uh, the timeliness to make a, you know, that enduring message there? Again, yeah, that that's um, if you if you want to know the history behind that play, uh, that was a um, a play originally commissioned by uh, an organization called Trocra, which is uh, an Irish third world development organization, and they commissioned me to write a play for them back. Oh, well, put it this way: it was written as a stage play in response to the first Gulf War, and it toured all around Ireland, and it even went and ran for a couple of weeks at New York University, and it was it was just was sitting there, and of course, uh, with these uh, <clears throat> these war criminals currently ensconced in the White House, mm-hmm. starting the Gulf War II, uh, it it seemed like this was something that needed to to be. Uh, it was production that needed to be done again, mm-hmm. and uh, at this stage, I, I, you know, had Crazy Dog Audio Theater, so I, I submitted it to RTE, and they mm-hmm. commissioned it to do a radio adaptation of it, which meant that rather than like on the stage version, a lot of stuff had to be explained and told in stories and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Uh, because it's radio, you could actually go to these places and try to create the the atmosphere of the different spaces and and so on of the medieval world um, and try to bring it all to life and also do a uh, craft it like a film you know that that, yeah. that was what the attempt was to do yeah. so That's... our outdoor scenes are recorded outdoors and our horses are with uh, we went to a, a farm in yeah, West Cork, where they had stables with loads of horses, so we were able to do all our horse equestrian effects. And um, it also, this, this farm, this estate, has Ireland's oldest cobblestone courtyard. Wow. And uh, it's surrounded by walls, so it's like a, a castle kind of space. Mm-hmm. So we were able to kind of pound on the big wooden doors that <laughs> were into this kind of courtyard and 
rampage around the place shouting and smashing things and stuff to create <laughs> to right create sounds. all our battle sounds, oh. which sound pretty good. So, yeah. so you... <laughs> it was worth the effort. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah, so the motivation there is, is uh, it's just trying to ask a lot of questions about mm. about the motivation and so on and so forth. I mean, there's a, there's there are historical parallels, you know. I, I did a lot of research to write Infidel. You know, you had this uh, coalition of Christian European nations uh, traveling to the Middle East to um, whoop uh, butt, so to speak, and you had various ideologues uh, using religion to back up all this with kind of um, a strong current of uh, messianic, um, the second coming was nigh kind of thinking going on by a lot of the religious ideologues that uh, were used to uh, drum up recruitment for this, for for the medieval crusade. So, so... I mean, there are historical parallels there, so that's yeah, what we tend to do in Infidel. And, uh, and a, a quick wrap-up for anyone who didn't hear, uh, have a chance to hear Infidel or, or know about it. It's a, uh, pardon me if I, I messed this up at all, but it's about two brothers who are caught in is, is the fourth or the fifth crusade. The fifth crusade. Um, fifth crusade. And they um, yeah. are, are stuck, and one brother starts to have doubts about the whole mission, uh, while the other brother believes very strongly in uh, the the uh, the line of the the party line about they're saving the uh, infidels from you know themselves or you know the threat to Christianity and then um, one brother's captured has to live with the Muslims realizes there's a whole uh, you know the whole context of the war is kind of uh, junk <laughs> and then uh, it leads to a lot of other profound uh, changes and things that he has to face um, due yeah. to the way the events unfold. So how did you know one of the other ideas about it too was the uh, Christianity or any religion can be, it's, it's a very malleable thing, and it's, it's an amazing what people can use to, uh, to justify. <laughs> Somehow they can look at the same book and the same words and uh, be inspired to do diametrically opposed actions right. and still use the same book and the same words to justify what, uh, what they do. And uh, both sides are, have, have their counterparts, you know. You have hardliners and men of extreme violence on both sides and then you have kind of the real politic people who are, are willing to deal and uh, common sense and, and tolerance on, on both sides as well. Yeah. That was another thing we tried to point out in Infidel as well because in history there are examples of, of kindness and compassion and uh, reason mm-hmm. from from both sides of the uh, that divide, you know, mm-hmm. and also hard uh, extremists, fundamentalists, morons, basically. So, going to a different direction, um, being that you are, uh, you know, professional audio theater producer um, in your situation uh, and the experience that you have, how do you feel that? Uh, how do you feel about audio theater in America? Where do you think it is, and where do you think it's headed, and what are some of the challenges it faces? Well, I think. Uh, in answering a question like that, you run the risk of uh, generalizations, mm-hmm. overgeneralizing. And if I can run that risk, I would say, well, basically, um, you know, if you look at the history of, of, of radio in the United States in the 1950s, with the uh, growth of television, you had um, shows being broadcast simultaneously as a radio production and crossing directly over into television, and in some cases being still continuing on both mediums at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they gradually moved completely over to television, and radio, uh, they died out in radio because uh, 
well with the private situation of broadcasting in the United States, the the profit motive is and was and still is king. Mm-hmm. So the simple economics that uh, the television was going to get a bigger draw and command more audiences, that that was where the uh, the effort was going to be put in. And radio, making radio drama was kind of expensive compared to having a disc jockey sit down and play a bunch of records and mm-hmm. and or having a, someone take phone calls and talk to people over the phone. I mean, that's much cheaper to do. Sure. So the the economics uh, won out, and so professional died out, and then it became the preserve of a few, as far as I know, uh, and again, I generalize, a few productions um, sponsored by various bodies, the National Endowment of the Arts, and through what was uh, at one time a kind of a healthier state of national public radio, which mm-hmm. had more monies at its disposal, so the odd productions and space for productions could be provided on air. But um, when Reagan came in and uh, dismantled the arts, such as they were, th- those those avenues um, or those outlets and those grant monies also dried up. Mm-hmm. So it. it uh, shriveled away and what's left in its wake is a lot of uh, groups I can think of 20 or 30 offhand and some are you know they usually seem to be formed by one or two sometimes three really high com- highly committed enthusiastic individuals and they, they try to get something off the ground or they get something off the ground and in some cases they manage to perform live and record in front of audiences. In other cases, it's a strictly product studio fair or a combination of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, predominantly, they're doing it to for the love of it, and they're, they're having fun doing it. And, um, and there's a lot of science fiction, science fiction comedy, fantasy, fantasy comedy, and radio detectives and radio detective comedies and kind of um, lampooning of the forms and um, types of shows that used to be big in American OTR, mm-hmm. the, the heyday of American radio. And, and that's what's going on at the moment. And the sad situation is, is that... Um, these people are all, I, again, I generalize, mm-hmm. a lot of them are doing it for the love of it, and they're having great fun doing it, but um, put it put it th- this way, I, I, I could be a professional actor here, mm-hmm. and I am an actor here, okay? Yeah. I'll tell you about my week coming. On Monday morning, I have a voiceover for uh, a radio ad for a video rental place, then I have uh, uh, an ad to do a cartoon voice for a headache, uh, what do you call it, um, head cold medicine. It's mm-hmm. a cartoon thing, so I'm voicing that. Those are my two gigs on Monday. And on Thursday, I'm in a cast of a radio play that's just a regular RTE radio play. Mm-hmm. And then on the other days of the week, I'm helping to record music for a TV pilot that a independent production company is going. So there I am, a professional writer actor and in among my gigs mm-hmm. is a radio play yeah but if somebody rang me in the morning and said we'd like you to audition for a stage production or a film i'd probably be there if my schedule was free sure. whereas if i was in the united states 
and I, and I was working in L.A. or New York City, where mm-hmm. professional actors are based, you'd be waiting a long time before some actor said, oh, and on Thursday I'm getting paid to be in a radio play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the same thing with writers and all the other talents. It's not... Um, it's not among the professional pursuits anymore mm-hmm. in the United States mm-hmm. that a professional person would would or could right. work in and survive in and, and include among the various avenues of creative endeavor. And the consequence of that is is that you know back when the National Endowment of the Arts used to give money to that crowd in Chicago and stuff, you had major American playwrights like David Mamet writing mm-hmm. stuff for radio very interesting stuff mm-hmm. and you had really glossy productions like uh, Canticle for Leibowitz mm-hmm. done again done in Chicago with uh, arts money mm-hmm. and those days are over in that light it's it's not very encouraging to right. picture yeah. and so do you think there's any uh, hope for change or what thing do you think might need to change if that were ever even to be a possibility I guess you know reviving the professional edge of it well I think in the best case scenario, there there might be more hope for kind of Prairie Home Companion, which, as far as I know, every week has one or two little sketches included mm-hmm. among its thing, which are like mini radio dramas. Mm-hmm. And if there was a popular national syndicated breakfast show, mm-hmm. I could see where some ongoing little three-minute thing that they cut away to as part of the breakfast comedy or something could be... A little enclave in the United States where where um, something could happen, you know. Mm-hmm. But I I don't. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Do you see it happening? Well, it, yeah, I I don't know. It, it it we the way I sort of see is this age where um, things are being started more on the organic or, or local level, and if there's uh, anything is going to happen, it probably will never get to uh, where anyone's going to think, oh, I want to go into radio drama acting as a career. But uh, I I do see that there are more people independently doing it and maybe that thanks to things like the internet those people will have a more of a place to sort of unite and uh, share their resources and grow that way as opposed to uh, anything coming from the top which looks pretty grim at this point yeah um, and and so in light of all this what would you say to someone who is uh, new to radio uh, would you if they would you what would you tell them as advice uh, to stay away or or is there something is some hope in it no, I, I, you know, I interviewed Yuri Rozovsky, mm-hmm. who is a pretty amazing guy. He runs Hollywood Theater of the the Year over there in Los Angeles, and uh, he started out with National Endowment mm-hmm. uh, the Arts money and got radio theater up and going and stuff. And he's still going at it, and it's a miracle that he keeps going at it, mm-hmm. and that he's able to continue. And, uh, you know, he, he said, you know, I wouldn't, nobody in their right mind who was a professional writer or actor should ever think about going into radio drama or audio theater as, as, as what they want to do, yeah. not in the United States, not in the current climate. But it should be something maybe that they do as, on the sideline mm-hmm. to experiment things. Do it on the side. Mm-hmm. But uh, don't be a fool and think that you're going to make a living at it. Sure. <laughs> so, in other words, also by the same token, put in your main effort mm-hmm. into getting your career up and going mm-hmm. in the, in the viable, financially rewarding areas. Sure. And concentrate your effort there if you're young and starting out. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, great. Well, thank you very, very much for uh, spending some time with us to talk about your work, uh, share some of your insights, um, and for letting us hear uh, The Last Harbinger. It's, you know, I, I think uh, anyone who's tuned in the past few weeks has seen it's something completely, it's just a level of production lo- quality that we don't get in American uh, audio theater and for a variety of reasons it's very 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 rare to hear um, a production of such caliber so thanks uh, for letting us share that experience and for sharing your insights with us this morning thank you and thanks Fred it's a pleasure and uh, any any closing comments um, keep listening not everybody has to wear a red hat and again that was the marvelous Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater that's crazydogaudiotheater.com with an r e and if you missed the great series the last harbinger we have it all up on the podcast www.radiodramarevival.com there's also a blog there you can download harbinger all the past episodes subscribe to that podcast uh, read up on the audio theater news reviews and discussion and hey, if you prefer, you can also find us on the iTunes store by doing a search for Radio Drama Revival. Uh, next week, we will be returning to the universe of Kwai Met, uh, Emil Song and the Detective, for a second trilogy in the Shadowman series by Dry Smoke and Whispers from Portland, Oregon. Uh, we heard part two of three of the original Shadowman series. We had them uh, visiting the uh, Sons of the Assigned in some uh, dark catacombs. Well, we now flash forward to Murder on the Huddleston Ferry, a far-flung tale of intrigue and adventure set on a luxury liner in this increasingly peculiar universe where um, all kinds of different forces uh, collide in this uh, really, really, really awesome tale with all the excellent sound effects, uh, cool music, and uh, general fun and adventure you expect from uh, Dry Smoke. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, Until then, keep your mind and your ears open. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.